honestly, men prioritizing guinea pigs over me is not a new phenomena in my life. <laughs> That's such a specific <laughs> happening. And of course, like, <laughs> that would Welcome be the one 2023. thing. <laughs> this is not the first time. No, no. I'm just kidding. I just no, I think the only excusable reason for ghosting is like you're gone from the face of the earth. <laughs> you're actually a ghost. Like, <laughs> and even then, I expect you to come back, haunt me, and tell me why <laughs> because I need closure <laughs> on this. I need you to leave a note in the humidity on the bathroom, <laughs> letting me know that you couldn't come back. I need you. To wake up in the middle of the and you're standing at the foot of my if you're not my sleep demon in 2023 careful careful what you look for not the voice of reason (laughs) (laughs) now i'm kind Uh, of afraid i'm gonna get spooked out tonight i'm like conjuring that up in my brain have y'all seen yellow jackets the show no. I've not even heard of it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, it has Juliette Lewis, Christina Ritchie, Melanie Linsky, like just great women. Um, but it's this show, and I'm not going to give you the whole premise, but in part of it, there's this like person that just like pops up randomly, and you don't jump have scare. At, I know, literally a jump scare, and that person speaking of like sleep demons has been like i'll wake up in the middle of the night to like you know go pee or something and i'm like they're standing there like you know it's one of those things what kind like, of show is it is it a spooky wait, show or is it I a super a spooky question. why are you consistently waking up in the middle of the night to pee because i feel like you don't do it like once a that. night no once a night bro <laughs> we need to just we need to process that a little bit no. <laughs> it's not normal that yeah. is absolutely normal. For 24? No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't... I, stop drinking water it's so much before. Yeah. No, if that I'm being honest, to... I do think that's part of it. Lane's in bed like... <laughs> well, that's it, there's, it's a, it is a fine line. I shouldn't have overreacted. I probably do that maybe like half the nights in a week, but it's because... Being hydrated helps you fall asleep, but if you overhydrate, it will wake you up. So you need to not do that. Right. But what's the balance? You know, I think that's the thing that we have. Is, is hydrating just enough to be comfortable and to go to sleep comfortably, but to not have to wake up? Well, okay. I have not discovered that that line. Well, yet. start cutting back maybe is your first step <laughs> here. You know what I've actually I thought about is like I, if I stopped like a few hours before I went to lay down, like it would probably help me. But I just like. Are you drinking like in bed? Yeah, like I'll I'll be laying in bed and like still sipping. (laughs) I make it small sips. I take little little baby sips on the. I'm about to go to sleep. It comes like gets me up. This is like my. This is probably my emotional support water bottle. No, it is my emotional support water bottle. Kind of is really. But I've I've literally drank like seven of these today. Probably it's 21 (laughs) ounces. And I'll probably have another, like, three before I go to bed. Okay, wait. You know you can drink too much. This happened to me one time in college. If you drink too much water, you feel like you're drunk. Like, you can't walk in a straight line. You, like, get really dizzy and nauseous. It's, like, very possible. on water. Yeah. yeah. And you yeah. get it, – it also – it actually can, can contribute to, like, brain fog. If yeah. If you overhype. 
And guess why I did it? Because I got a stupid app. I think you recommended the app, Lane, about watering your plants every time you drink a glass of water. Is that you? And so I was no. like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to make all my plants so happy. And then I'm like at my internship and I'm like, I can't drive home right now. Like, I can't see straight. Somebody drug my water. <laughs> that does not, that doesn't sound, yeah, that's too much. So stop, Lane, basically, is the lesson here for today. I need to cut back on water, apparently. Going crazy. It happens. Was. I'm Lexi. And I'm Lane. And I'm Pablo. And this is My Therapist Told Me, the podcast where we unpack our lives and encourage you to do the same. How's it going, Pablo? It's going really well. It's going great. I'm happy to be here. Thank y'all for having me. We're so excited to have you. We've low-key been referencing you in every season so it's nice in every season we've only done two seasons but up to this <laughs> point we have referenced you twice so we sure are glad you're here finally the big reveal i'm pumped to be here yeah we're so excited to have you i know as lexi mentioned we've referenced you quite a bit because i think that you have inspired us in oh. a way I don't, is that the word I'm going for? Inspired? You know, I was going to say profound impact on our lives, but I didn't know <laughs> if that was too serious. So, Well, the, the impact that you have had on our last Pablo is immeasurable, insurmountable, one might say. <laughs> wow. I'm blushing over here, y'all. Chill. Uh, so we are, are definitely glad that you're on the podcast today. And should we offer some context that we've known you now for over five years? Lane just sent a picture to our group chat of five years ago. So I guess that means more than five. And it's been so fun. We've been on walks. We've been out to meals. We've had a great friendship. I'm so thankful. I've been in your home. <laughs> oh, many adventures. It's been about six years and four months, you know, just to be exact. Um, well, Claudia's it actually might be. Recently, <laughs> Claudia's birthday is my marker because we met a couple months before that. Right? That's true. So, That's oh, true. Yeah. It's been, time has flown. Pablo, as we get started here, do you want to just provide a little context as to who you are, what you do, what are your hobbies, what's been intriguing you these past few months in life? <laughs> no pressure. What has been intriguing me now? I'm just focused on that. I was just going to give my salient identities. My name is Pablo. I'm many things, and I'll kind of hopefully get to talk about some of them today. Yeah, I am a good friend of you two. Some could say family. And I'm a father. I'm a spouse. I am a clinician. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm um, a licensed clinical addiction specialist associate as well. And so, yeah, I'm a cis male and I'm first gen 
U.S. citizen. My family came from Guatemala. I was born the year my folks came to the U.S. I identify as a person of color and someone who has light skin privilege. So I could go on and on, but I'm just stumped with what's intriguing me right now. I am an amateur gardener and mm. I'm also a romantic and think I'm thinking really of all things spring because each winter is just feels like it's, you know, they're increasingly different, you know, difficult in different ways. And I think this one is one that I'm really excited to step out of and I'm focusing on gardening. I'm focusing on new beginnings and growth and, you know, with my family, with like career and friendships and hobbies and all those things. Did I tell you I'm starting a tiny garden in my backyard? Oh, oh, oh. I planted like four things. I don't know if they're going to survive, but I got this little garden bed and I'm really excited about it. So I might send you pictures and ask what I'm doing wrong. Please do. And I'm super excited to see. What have you got in there? I have tomatoes, zucchini, strawberries, and lavender. That's like power combo i feel like these four things say so much about you who you are all the things wait lexi do you eat tomatoes you know that's a great question i don't (laughs) however i did think i could turn them into a great pasta sauce so i'm gonna make some homemade sauce for everyone is my goal long term so we'll see how it goes yeah but great question lane thanks for calling me out true friend <laughs> well i the only reason i had to ask was because i thought something might have changed because i very actively remember us like not ordering tomatoes on things <laughs> so <laughs> like it's something it was one of those like the end of end diagram in the middle you know what i mean i don't know now that i'm 25 and my brain is fully developed i'm thinking it may be time to give tomatoes another try so <laughs> say it ain't so the question is whether you're going to have enough tomatoes to make a huge batch of sauce. Otherwise, you really might have to give a chance. Oh, I had not considered that. Okay. Anyways, I'll, I'll cry myself to sleep tonight, but that's fine. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for that introduction, Pablo. Uh, obviously, this show is about therapy. And not only are you a therapist to some, but you are also a therapist in therapy which is something that we're really intrigued about. So we'd love to hear just a little bit more about, you know, what led you to therapy, if that's something that happened earlier in life for you, or if that's been a more recent focus, just a little bit more about that journey. Yeah, for sure. Um, (laughs) How much time do we have? I'm like ready to (laughs) go for it. So the day I was born, I left the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, needed therapy shortly after. You know, I like to throw in like certain aspects of my identity because I think a lot of them in kind of telling my story, right? It's going to hopefully kind of help connect some of the dots. But I first went to therapy when I was in just out of middle school. So I was in, I was 14 or 15. Like I think many folks and like we're probably going to discuss today, right? Thinking back in hindsight of like, when was the right, what was it the right time? Could I have gone sooner? Did I go to, you know? what that all kind of looked like for me. And I kind of, looking back for me, I, I I definitely feel like it was the right time. And also, could it have been sooner? Of course, right? I also, one of my salient identities is a 
at you know, mental being a mental health advocate um, and sharing some of my story and that kind of like early education and early understanding of mental health and and mental stressors and mental illness like is, is really relevant in that and so for me I was all over the place as a kid I was born the year my folks came to the U.S. and it, which was a very stressful time for them and I was raised in a very loving household but also a very busy one um, my parents were working very hard to pursue this American dream. And part of that also contributed to some of the pressure that I felt also growing up. And so as a young kid, I was very, I was very emotional, very passionate, had a temper. A lot of my kind of inability, I think, to regulate and to, to address you know, certain anxieties and stuff surfaced as anger. And that's a big part of kind of my story. It's something that is cyclical as well in my family. But yeah, I went, you know, in early high school, there was a lot of factors that kind of contributed to that. And yeah, my mom was, my mom's the one to thank. She was a, a guidance secretary at a school and she had some of the counselors encourage her to send me because I was smoking and I got caught. And so it wasn't even really a lot of the bad, you know, a, a lot of the kind of emotional stuff that was going on for me. It was, it was substance use, which is also mm -hmm. interesting because that's played an interesting role in my life as well. I identify as a person and in long-term recovery from substances as well. So early on with your journey to therapy, you would say it's more so like kind of forced on you as the solution. Like you thank your mom for, for sending you, the, you know, to therapy from there, kind of what happened, what unfurled in your life that you either, did you stop at some point? Did you, you know, go back? What does that, that journey look like for you? It was, it was tricky. I appreciate asking because I think, yeah, I was super resistant. A lot of my journey was really impacted by, I think, a lot of the stigma around help seeking, especially within Latin culture as a like young male and emotional expression and how that kind of, yeah, I just, I didn't want to seek help. I wanted to kind of tough it out. I wanted to do things on my own. And I think therapy was something that I was really resistant around and i think it took a while i was you know i had i had super long hair then and it covered my face and i would sit in sessions like and i was a super like emo kid i would just sit there and like not talk and in fact it and that's actually it even it took a while for me to find a clinician that i was even willing to sit in silence with because mm -hmm. i went through like three or four and i just either the way they kind of started or the way they tried to connect like it was difficult like it was I was I was not having it um so once I finally found one it took a while for me to open up and then I did and it took a little bit right and I think that that's realistic because that's the journey is isn't it's tricky I mean of course I was a teen so I was definitely extra you know picky and extra resistant and all that but eventually I did open up and I did start to kind of engage with the space and and started to receive the support and even then it wasn't you know it was, it was trying, it was difficult. You know, it was one of those things where I had kind of avoided and, and been super avoidant for a while. And then finally I opened up and then was like, this is like, really, <laughs> this is intense, you know? And then it was like, it was that kind of push pull, but eventually I, I, I made some traction and made some progress, you know, learned a little bit about what was going on, learned a little bit how, you know, to address some of what was going on for me at that time and, and really was able to make some good progress. And I've also have been through different types of therapies. So I can also kind of say that I've been in, I've, I've been in regular outpatient therapy. I've been in 
intensive outpatient therapy, which was, you know, in the evenings, multiple days a week. Been in day treatment. I've been in residential facilities as well for some of my substance use and, and stuff like that. So I've had the full gamut of experiences, it feels like. And full circle to now as a practicing clinician, you know, in individual counseling, in couples counseling, and connected with support groups as well. So that's kind of that <laughs> in a nutshell, the experience there. Yeah. How do you approach your counseling and your therapy now with all of the all of the lessons that you've learned and as a practicing clinician yourself, does that change how you enter or navigate in that space? It it, it helps really inform it, right? I think in some ways, as far as specifically kind of my motivation and drive to do it, right? It doesn't inform mm -hmm. my actual like practice, right? So Mm -hmm. that's something that's really important to be clear about and to be mindful of just in fact in the in terms of bringing in too much of my experience into kind of my practice right but I think it's invaluable in in being able to really empathize and connect with my with my clients and to recognize especially being that my experience was was not all a great one right that's part of why I went into the field was because I engaged with providers who felt like they you know, like I, that I felt like couldn't support me or that were not great, unfortunately. Right. And so I said to myself, like, I need to get out there and I need to be a good clinician and provide a high quality of care. And so I think it's helped me meet folks where they're at, especially folks that are really resistant, folks that may not, you know, really be fully, fully, totally excited to be <laughs> in the room with me but who you know know that they would like to to kind of see what it's all about and i think that's really really helps me kind of you know uh connect with folks and and really gain that rapport pretty pretty early on i love that one of the things i was thinking about that you were kind of hinting at there was that you mentioned in your intro and i know from knowing you that you were like in social work for your studies, your degrees, I guess I could say. Did you always know that your path was to being a clinician, you know, working with people as a therapist? And the second part that I'm curious about is how does that aspect of like social work inform your practices now? Two part question. Two part yeah, question. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that was a that was a good one. No, I think it's one that I'm, you know, that I've given a lot of thought to, and that I'm really, you know, my career path is constantly evolving. I think I have always, I, I did, I did always want to spend time being a clinician. Absolutely, I think I was pretty fortunate early on to have had the opportunity to engage in a lot of advocacy work and mental health advocacy through sharing my story and some of the adversity that I faced and and some of the, you know, barriers I felt in terms of getting care and then just the overall journey, right? And so in doing some of that work, I noticed that there was a huge need for it. It was a huge need for people to talk about it. It was a huge need for podcasts like this, right? And so part of me has wanted, has considered different, different trajectories, right? Whether that's, you know, lobbying or politics, whether that's getting into just, just different advisory roles, right? And so social work for me was really important because of the the plethora of options that really could come with a social work degree in terms of some of the advocacy and more macro level work. But I'm also really, really keen on just staying grounded, right? And really 
nurturing my clinical soul and my the clinical work that I'm doing right is has been really really relevant for me and and it's it's hard to say kind of where I'll go from here in some ways but I think that's kind of where I'm at today. <laughs> yeah, and I know something that we have talked about and I think would be really valuable for folks listening is asking you about what you do to prevent compassion fatigue and burnout and how you take care of yourself because I know it must be challenging to be in this field and you know hear some of these things that are really challenging so what are you doing to mitigate those things yeah no I think it's it's really really come into hyper focus really what I'm doing recently despite you know us being somewhat you know I, I don't know what the correct language is around being out of COVID or in COVID or whatever it was, right? But I was really getting my feet on the ground as a clinician in that kind of storm. You know, I was tried very early on and also to give more context to folks, like I started as a clinician working uh, with trauma primarily. And so, and I can speak a little bit more about like the types of therapy that I do. I do mostly cognitive behavior therapy and also I'm trained in trauma-focused cognitive behavior therapy, dialectical behavior therapy. And so... In the time that I first started, I was doing trauma-focused cognitive behavior therapy with youth who had been exposed or had experienced sexual abuse, sexual assault, um, had been exposed to domestic violence. I was serving primarily Medicaid, working with folks of low socioeconomic status. And so I was just getting my feet on the ground when things went virtual. As you all know, like with a family with two young kids, it really was ex was extremely trying. And so, you know, Although I had kind of prepped for like burnout and compassion fatigue and all that in, in my master's program, I really had to face it full on head first. For me, a big part of it was, was really just being, being aware, being, staying grounded and really noticing kind of what was going on for me, really taking the time daily to say, okay, what's, you know, where am I at? What am I, what am I experiencing? What am I noticing here? And then really doing everything I could to, to, to practice that self-care, to stay connected with folks, to, to seek that supervision and support and, and to really look at kind of that overall like wellness in terms of what I was experiencing. And, you know, it's, it's also, it's also a big part of just being patient with myself, practicing that self-compassion, which I think is a big part of some of the work that I do outside of the, the evidence-based models and, and really in many ways, practicing what I preach, which is something that, you know, that, that I think is, is not as widely <laughs> discussed in, in, in the field, I think mm. openly. Um, but I think that's been really, really relevant to me as being, being aware, being, being open and, and being vulnerable, you know, with folks that I trust. And so that, that's really been a big part of it. And just recognizing, I think the other thing that I'll add to that is just being really aware of what I'm being avoidant about. What I'm kind of really trying to, you know, not what I'm not ready to feel in certain moments and then making the time with intentionality to allow myself to experience that and to feel that and to work through that because that is just a buildup of that is, is not, you know, will catch up to you sooner rather than later, especially in the field and doing the work. Mm, that last one. Yeah. On that wavelength to... This is a question I'm, I'm just curious about and I want to know your answer is it's almost like compartmentalizing now. Like you have to mm. like show up to work and listen to what other people have to say 
literally all day long and what's going on in their lives. Meanwhile, you could have like a thousand other things going on in your life in that moment, which being a spouse and having two little kids running around, like I can only imagine. So it's like (laughs) with all of those things going on, plus like what's going on in the world around you, like, is that what you do in therapy as a therapist? You know, like, I'm just so curious, like, and practicing what you preach, right? Like, that's great. But like, also, now I feel like every therapist is just needs a therapist. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you, you you did a really, you know, great job of kind of laying it out. And and I think therapy absolutely helps with that, right? Mm-hmm. Having a support system is really, really helps with that too. Um, you know, I think it's tricky because it, it, it needs to be done in so many different ways, right? When you talk about kind of like having, you know, there's days where I have six, six, you know, clients back to back. And each one is on a different wavelength. Each one brings different, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes I can anticipate. Sometimes I can't. And so I have to really have the bandwidth to be able to be ready for anything and to, and to provide a really high quality of care. Again, that's, that's where the motivating factor of me wanting to go in the field of being a clinician is really like has me on my feet and ready to go like in, in a certain way that, that motivates me a lot. But yeah, so I would agree with the way you laid out the compartmentalizing and also then kind of level it up and say like there's compartmentalizing that happens like on a daily basis like it when I'm in the workplace and then I have a whole nother kind of compartmentalizing when I get home and then yeah I think therapy kind of helps me talk through it but it's it is really tricky just especially with everything going on in the world right now all the you know there's so many variables to it working from home, right? Doing sessions. I'm in my son's room right now. This is my office when I'm here because my (laughs) wife works from home full time and she has the actual like office space. So I'm sitting in here having sessions, right? When I was working with children before and I'm in my child's room, like that's, that's mind boggling. And that was really hard to juggle and to manage. And so now I work with young adults, right? I'm in a different setting and it's a little different, but it's still, it's still really tricky. And I think one of the most relevant parts to that, I think, is having really working hard to almost grow the bandwidth that I have to do mm-hmm. all the things, right? Because even in, you know, you can only compartmentalize so much, like things will will shift and overflow and kind of bleed in at times. And so being able to navigate that, right, with support is really key. So I feel like I'm always kind of working to find things to fill my cup, to empty <laughs> My cup in certain ways, right? It's always like an ongoing juggling act and, and I enjoy it. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. the key in all of this, right? Is it's, <laughs> it's, it's something about it is, is really what, what drives me to be in, in the field. Why did you giggle, Lane? Just because I, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> I don't know. Like, to just be like, enjoy it. I think just like the resilience that has to come along with it. I don't know that I have that. Which is, I, I just think it's impressive. Like, it's not that I, I don't know, maybe if I build up my skill set and like, you know, had all of the knowledge and the wisdom that you hold, Pablo, like maybe I could do it too, you know? But like, just where I am right now, like I just, it's it's hard for me to fathom like all of the things that are happening that just layer on top of each other and that you, you still show up to work fully for your patients. You are like fully there for your family. And then fully there for yourself and like still doing, you know, things out in the world. So it's just, just kudos. I think that's the point of what I'm saying. (laughs) 
I agree. No, I appreciate that. You absolutely could do it. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, it's tricky. I don't think but I could I, do it. I really don't think I could. I feel like I, I said maybe, enough. but. Yeah, I cry <laughs> enough as it is. I don't want more on top of it. I think it's all about finding, you know, the, the populations that we serve, I think are that's really relevant, I think, too, right? I started really what I felt like was in the trenches, but doing some really, really important work. I'm working with young adults. I'm in a different space now, still really important, right? And I think but there's different types of spaces, right? I think, I'm, you know, I haven't been in private practice. I haven't done that side of things yet. But I think there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of options, a lot of opportunities out there. That's my plug to to inspire future clinicians that might be listening. <laughs> All right. Well, normally this is the part of the show where we ask each other what our our therapist has told us. So we can do that for you or we can open the space if there's anything that you as a clinician would like to share with all of us instead because we think you have great wisdom. So <laughs> do you have a preference? I think, you know, I've loved the podcast and I really enjoy you know, those moments at the end where y'all talk about it. And so I've been kind of, I've, I've cycled through so many options of so many things that I've been told by <laughs> different therapists that I've had. And then I had to think about like, wow, like how much of the, how, how many of those things am I saying to my, to my clients now? Mm. And um, so it's, it's been interesting kind of considering that. I think I couldn't think of any, I couldn't phrase any bangers the way y'all lay them out so well. <laughs> I feel like I it's just- that bits and pieces right i think um not us in our advice era Ooh, <laughs> too bad we aren't following it but yeah <laughs> no i think one of the one of the things that sticks with me the most was something that one of my providers said to me when i was actually in in my last like inpatient treatment facility and i and, and it's interesting because now clinically thinking back on this like i I don't know if it's something that I would necessarily say to someone, but it really stuck with me. And I think it's really valid. I was like, I had made a lot of progress. I was really excited to like get out there and to like live my life. And I was expressing something along those lines. And he kind of like, he was this old like white dude with like a twirly mustache. And he kind of like rocked in his chair <laughs> and like twirled his mustache. And he was like, yeah, like that's, that's great. And he was like, you know, I'm happy for you. And he was like, Pablo, your true test is going to be whether you can maintain this momentum and this excitement that you have like to live your life. Your true test will be if you can maintain this momentum and excitement when life throws you a curveball, right? You're here and you're doing the work and you've, and you've found this light, you know, in terms of how things are going, right? And you can also access this when things get tough, when things get difficult. And that message really stuck with me. And again, like, I don't know if that's clinically sound. I don't know if that's something that I would say, but it impacted me in such a way that like really helped me enjoy the good times and, and carry that into everything to be able to weather, you know, any storm or anything that comes my way. And I think that that helped really inspire a lot of, a lot of the, the extra things that I do, even when things are going well to make sure that that I can kind of keep it moving, that I can keep the momentum that I have to keep doing the work that I'm doing. So that's the main one. I like that. It, it's definitely, I feel like it's controversial, but I, I appreciate 
it really it really low-key is in in so many ways but <laughs> but yeah aside from that i really talk about shitting a lot with my students shitting all over yourself because i was a big i grew up in a pressured environment and i use the word shit a lot in terms of kind of the expectations that i had and often they were unrealistic and really toxic expectations and so being conscious of using the word should in terms of things that i felt like i should be doing right or or places i should be or or mm progress that I should be making um, was something that my first therapist ever had me really conscious and aware of, really recognizing where is that coming from? Is there is there another way to look at things in terms of wanting to find a different path or find a different way? Wow, that's a good one. I need to do that. Hmm. We're both just like, I felt stumped. oh no, <laughs> yeah. oh no. I told you, I didn't, I told you I didn't have them well articulated or no. well thought out. I was just like, that was great. I was just thinking I say that to myself all the time. Like I always am like, I should be here or I should be doing this or I should be at this point in my life. And I haven't really sat with where that comes from. So I'm I'm excited to do that. So thank you for offering that. I think it's interesting because that's what my that's one of the things my therapist like one of the very first things she did in one of very early sessions was just really? like it was like I, I said something. I was like, well, like I should something something like along those lines and she just literally was like okay why should you and she like emphasized like the should and like mm. i don't know it's it's fascinating when you sit and think about it. it's like well why do i think that you know mm. i think the language we speak to ourselves in general is really powerful too yeah i recently saw this quote that i used as an intention for yoga that said we talk to ourselves more than anyone else like we need to speak kinder. And I just feel like when you really sit and listen with the language that you're using in those conversations with yourself or in those expectations that you have for yourself, it's very different than I think how we would speak to others. So hot take. Absolutely a hot take. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else? Oh, were you going to say something? Well, I was going to switch to my message for everybody yeah. as far as therapy goes. Like, I, did, I just, it. I really think that um, there's so much to it. It's, it can be, you know, I have to validate that it can be scary. It can be a lot and it can be tricky to figure out the right time, having access and means and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, mm. it's so worth it. And I think that, you know, a big part of, a big part of overcoming some of the barriers that are holding us all back from, from going to therapy need therapy on their own <laughs> therapy on their own and but i think ultimately like there's always help out there and really taking that step it's so courageous and it's so relevant and i think um, i just wanted to be here to to speak highly on that to encourage folks to do what they need to do to to take care of themselves to be that best version of themselves and to live their best life ultimately Mike Drew. Love. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Pablo. We're so thankful that you took some time out of your busy life to sit and chit chat just a little bit. Is there anything else that you'd like to say before we hop off? No. Just thank you all so much for having me. I look forward to being back and for everyone listening, get out there and get in therapy. Yeah. And follow us on Instagram at my therapist told me pod. Bye, y'all. We'll see you in therapy.